When you think or hear of the word empty, what comes to mind? For some of us, we think that's easy, that's my bank account, it's, it's empty. For others, you think of empty promises. Someone had promised you something and it came up empty. For some of you sitting here today, you're empty nesters. Some of you would like to be empty nesters today. Um, for others, it's that empty sleeve of those Girl Scout cookies, the thin mints, you know what I'm talking about, that five minutes before, it was a full sleeve of Girl Scout cookies. And then the kids got into them, and now there's nothing but an empty sleeve. Or if you've ever ran a 5K before, and you're running to the finish line, and when you cross that finish line, you've got nothing left in the tank. You are empty, empty. Or maybe on a more serious note, when you think of the word empty, you think about your marriage these days and how at one time it was full and it was vibrant and it was exciting, but these days it just seems shallow and hollow and, and empty. Or maybe, maybe that describes the condition of your heart and life right now. Emotionally, relationally, and maybe even the reason why you're here today is because there's something in your heart that's missing. And you've tried to fill it time and time and time again, but you keep coming up empty. And so spiritually, there's something in your life that's missing, and you're missing the purpose that God has for you. When we think about that word empty, it often refers to being without, no substance, lacking. But the word empty this morning is a great word. It's a great word to describe the empty tomb that Jesus at one time was in, but three days later, he what? Tell me. He rose again. It, it was empty. It's no more. He is alive. And just so that you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an April Fool's joke, okay, since it is April 1st. But that the, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be something that we never, ever grow tired of hearing or tired of telling the world. It, it defies the laws of nature. It defies the logic of men. But the evidence, the historical evidence is so true, we can't help but face it and say, he was dead. But three days later, in a supernatural way, he rose from the dead just as he said. And so this whole drama of Easter morning that we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to go back and we're going to be reminded of this incredible historical account of what happened to this body. A corpse is missing. And so let me invite you this morning, meet me in John 20 this morning. John 20. And we're going to look at this historical account and see how Jesus' resurrection can take us from being empty to being made alive. Because he is alive, we have the opportunity to be alive. And so we're going to take a look and we're going to divide up John 20 into four parts. And the first part we're going to look at is the empty tomb. Look at the, verse 10, look at the first 10 verses of John 20 and follow along. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark 
and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. And for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Part one is the empty tomb. Mary decides to go to the tomb before it's dawn. It's still dark out. Uh, Jesus has been in the tomb now for three days. Now, in the Jewish culture, any part of a day is considered a full day. So Friday evening, day one. Saturday, day two. Uh, Sunday morning, day three. And if you remember anything about Mary Magdalene, she has an invested interest in Jesus because Jesus changed her life. Here was a woman that was lost. Here was a woman that in Luke 8 had seven demons in her. And Jesus casted those demons out. And this woman is forever grateful for Jesus. Jesus has transformed her life. And so she comes to the tomb she comes to the tomb. The stone has been rolled in front of that tomb, and she comes, and it's still dark. Why does she come to the tomb when the, when the stone has already been in, on the entrance of that tomb? Maybe it's to mourn. Maybe it's to reflect. Maybe that is the place that she will go to feel some kind of comfort. You say, well, how do you know that? I don't. I don't. But I do know any of us who have lost a loved one will tell you they think about that loved one before they go to bed. And when they get up, they think about that loved one. And I can imagine she gets up in the middle of the night and she's thinking about Jesus, the one who has transformed her life, the one that she is indebted to, undying love for Jesus. And so she is drawn to the tomb at least to get some kind of comfort even in the midst of this death of Jesus. And when she gets there, these first 10 verses tell us what has happened to the stone. The stone has miraculously been rolled away. Uh, this is a stone that I did a little studying on that could have been four tons, and it is rolled away. Now, if you know anything about the resurrection, you'll know this. That on that stone, there was a seal by Caesar Tiberius, a Roman seal that basically said, if anyone tampers with this stone, if anyone tampers with this grave, you will be executed. Your death is forecoming. So no one would want to mess with that. And yet we see in Matthew 28 that there was a massive earthquake the moment that Jesus rose from the dead. And an angel from the Lord came down. This is hard to believe, but this is in Scripture. An angel of the Lord came down and rolled that stone away. 
Why? The earthquake ensured that any claim that would be made later that the, the guards were asleep could not be true. Now, I have never experienced an earthquake. Anybody ever here experience an earthquake? Just raise your hand. Oh, wow, a number of you. I've never experienced it, but I have been told this. When an earthquake occurs, you are wide awake. That is not a time that you're going to grab a pillow and go to sleep. You're not going to sleep through an earthquake. This was a massive earthquake that caused the graves to open up. And this stone was rolled away by this angel. Why? Why is this so important? Because when she sees the stone, she realizes something miraculous has happened, but she can't put her fingers on it. So she runs to Simon Peter, and she runs to John the Beloved, and she says these words. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Can we solve a problem right now? There was no they. There was no they that came at night. There was no they that rolled a stone away. There was no they that stole Jesus' body. There was no they. This is a supernatural act of God that defies the logic of man. And we see it from God's word. There's overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this stone has been rolled away. She runs to find out what has happened to tell Simon, Peter, and John. There will be those that will cover up this story. The religious leaders of the day will try to smooth over what has happened. The Romans will say, hey, we don't want our lives to be threatened. We don't want something wrong to happen with us. So they will make up a story. And we see that in Matthew 28. And we have it right up here. Matthew 28 verses 11 to 15 says this. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. It is a story that has been spread that Jesus' body was taken by the disciples. Try to smooth over something that supernaturally has occurred. They're desperate. And yet this story continues even today. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says. He says, the only reason the story was made up and that it would still be repeated today is that men do not want to believe the truth. The ramifications of Jesus being raised from the dead are more than sinful man wants to bear. For if it is true, then they will be held accountable for their sins by a holy and just God who is all powerful. So what happens Peter and John, they take off towards the tomb. John outruns Peter. Peter's the first one that comes into the tomb and sees that the tomb is what? It's empty. Jesus is not there. But what is there is the linen cloths that they would put around Jesus to preserve his body. Spices were put in, so it was a form of embalming. And they would have wrapped Jesus up Historical account shows that nothing disturbed those linen cloths. 
So basically, the linen cloth was in exactly the same shape and mold as Jesus was, except what? Jesus wasn't in that. He was gone. Now, if you're thinking about stealing the body of Jesus, and you know that if you tamper with the stone, and you roll it away, and you run in, do you think you're going to take your time to unwrap every single linen cloth and then try to put it back exactly how it was? What would we do? We would go in, take the body, and run out. We would not try to do anything except get out of there as fast as we could. And yet, it tells us that the linen cloths were lying there, just as they were. And interesting enough that there was this uh, um, napkin or this cloth that was over Jesus' face and that it was separate from the body and that it was folded around Jesus, where Jesus' head was. This is tradition, but I find this very interesting. Then some of you know where I'm headed, that when a king or someone of high importance was at a table and he was eating, and he had a napkin, and we've all done this. You're eating and you're finished. What do we do with a napkin? We kind of fold it up, just throw the wad on, onto the table. It gives the waitress or waiter the indication, I'm done, I'm finished. But in those days when a king would fold his napkin and place it there, it indicated that he was coming back, that he was returning. And so many people have said this is an incredible sign of Jesus that he will be returning, that he is our great king. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not some kind of fictitious a fairy tale. It's the centerpiece of our faith. And yet, do we live as if it's the centerpiece of our faith? Do we walk as if it's the centerpiece of our faith? Do we live in such a way that every single day we're reminded of what he did for me on the cross and how he took sin, the penalty of sin and death upon himself, and he rose from the dead so that I could have life? Not just life the way that the world defines it, but life the way that Christ defines it so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, that through Christ we have a purpose. Do you have a purpose if you're in Christ? Okay, a few of you do. Do we have purpose if, if we're in Christ? We have purpose. You have purpose in your workplace. You have purpose where you work out. You have purpose in your school because it is because of Christ's resurrection, this empty tomb, that I have been made free and I am alive. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves and claims who he truly claimed to be. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul said this? If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. In other words, I'm wasting my time talking to you, and you're wasting your time listening to me. It tells us if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our faith, our belief, our trust in all of this is useless. And our hope beyond the grave is hopeless. It is pointless. 
Look at verse 9. Verse 9, John puts in there and he says, still the disciples are trying to grapple with this whole thing of understanding when Christ spoke about how he would rise from the dead. Do you realize that over 15 times in the Gospels, Jesus referred to that he would suffer and that he would rise again. And yet the disciples are so close, and yet they still don't quite get it. Have you ever been so close to something, okay? Have you ever said to your wife or your husband, where are my keys? I left them in the junk drawer. Where are they? I cannot find them. And all of a sudden, your wife or husband comes over and says, they're right there. And you're like, oh, they just supernaturally appeared. I, I see it. I see it. it, it may, I'm going to date myself, but this makes me think, so, think of a Hall & Oates song by the 80s. Uh, it's a song so close. So close and so yet so far away. That's what's happening with the disciples. We see this story. We know the end of this story. But the disciples are still thinking, what, what, what has happened? What is going on here? Can, can we just be reminded for a moment this morning of the verses that Jesus shared in the Gospels? We're not going to look at all 15 of them, but a number of verses that highlight his suffering and his resurrection that he was telling his disciples, this is what is going to happen. Matthew 26, 31, 32. If you can see that, let's read this together. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. A reference to his resurrection. The next one. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, what? Rise again. Jesus himself said this. Another one. In Luke 24, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you how he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, what? Rise. John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Statements from Jesus himself that he would suffer, that he would die, but that he would rise again. It is not just historical evidence. It is biblical evidence. It is coming from the very mouth of Jesus himself. So we see this first part as the empty tomb. The second part of this is part two is Mary's empty heart. Look at verses 11 to 15. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking and supposing he to be the gardener? She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Her heart is empty. 
She is standing by the tomb. She is weeping. She is distraught. She is broken. And she is grasping, trying to find out what has happened to my Lord. He is gone. Someone has taken this body. But she will in a moment realize this incredible truth. Jesus' empty tomb is a reminder that he alone can fill our empty lives. I want to just say that alone. Say that again. Jesus' empty tomb is a reminder that he alone can fill our empty lives. Because of his resurrection, because he is alive, he makes us alive for those who put their trust in him. Now notice what Mary does. She's so fragile. She's so flustered. She doesn't know what to think. She turns and Jesus is standing right there, but she doesn't recognize him, whether it's because it's still dark, whether she believes that it's the gardener, but she's trying to find a solution to the situation. She's not looking for Jesus in the flesh. She's just looking for a body. So this is off of her radar completely. And yet the one who stands before her is none other than Jesus Christ who is alive, the risen Savior. And then she says this, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. It's not until Jesus calls her by name that she finally recognizes that it was Jesus standing in front of her, which leads to part three. And part three is Jesus' assuring voice or words. Verses 16 to 18. It tells us this. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and saw and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things and that he had said these things to her. One personal word. One personal word that completely changed her life. What was that word? Mary. Mary. She went from grieving and broken to joy in a split second. She went from what are we going to do and filled with sorrow and grieving to her heart exploding with great celebration, brimming with hope again. How many of you, if your father or your mother were in a large crowd, you could pinpoint their voice if they said your name. If they called out your name, you would immediately know your dad or your mom's voice. Uh, I remember, remember Montgomery Ward? He's not even around anymore. And Montgomery Ward was the place that everybody went over by Millette Mall. And you're like, I don't even know where Millette Mall is. Okay, it's not even really there anymore. But there was a Montgomery Ward there. We would go there all the time. And my dad and I remember, I was small, and my dad and I went to Montgomery Ward, and I'm not sure who my dad was looking at that day, but he was probably looking at tools or bits or something like that. And, and I'm just a kid, and I, I focus in on those gumball machines. The, at that time, they were like a nickel or a dime gumball machine. Now they're like a, a $3 for a, for a gumball and, and I remember, I was so focused on that, and I remember I left my father's side, and I walked over, and I'm just glossed over at the sweethearts and the 
Jawbreakers and the M&Ms. And when I turned around, my dad was gone. And I began to panic. And I'm like, Dad? <laughs> Dad? And about five rows over, I hear this. Craig! Craig! And the moment I heard his voice, my heart skipped a beat. Because I'm like, okay, <laughs> I thought he's abandoned me. And I went running to my dad. Now, I didn't do what Mary did. I didn't cling to my father. But I was so glad I knew his voice. And the fact that Jesus says that one word, Mary, her heart had to have skipped a beat. Because all of this heartache and pain and grieving, that's all changed. Those reassuring words that we need to hear from our Lord. We have all experienced it. We've all experienced an empty heart. I'm sure every single one of you this morning have experienced at some time or another an empty heart in your life where you were disappointed. When you know they're here, here's a couple that's been dating for three years and she thinks they're headed toward marriage. And she's so excited and he takes her out to a nice restaurant only to drop the bomb and to tell her, I don't think things are going as I thought they would have, and I think we need to end things now. Talk about an empty heart. Talk about a heart that needs some reassurance at that time. A young girl who is 12 years old and is one of the top gymnasts in the area. She is excellent in the area of the balancing beam. She is going to one of the biggest gymnastic events around. She is an Olympic hopeful. And she gets on the balancing beam that day and she does her routine, which she has done a thousand times. And it is a small maneuver. It is a cartwheel. She has done it in her sleep. And yet that day when she did that cartwheel, she lost her balance and she fell off that balancing beam and she did not even place in the top five and her hopes have been crashed. She has an empty heart. And here's Mary hearing those assuring words, Mary. So what does Mary do? Mary immediately clings to Jesus like you would if you were rescuing your child from something. Or let's say your son or your daughter was in the military and you get to go to the airport and pick them up. And as they're walking through the terminal, you see them and they're dressed in their military outfit and they look so good. And when you see them, your heart just pounds and you run to them. And when you run to them, you don't go, hey, great to see you. You don't shake their, what do you do? You grasp onto them, you hold on to them, you cling to them because you don't want them to ever leave. See, we need to note in this, it wasn't the fact that she held on to Jesus, it was the fact that she was clinging to him. She did not want him to go anywhere, and yet Jesus' ministry isn't done yet. Jesus still needs to ascend to the Father. And so what we see here is he is not going to be staying, and there will be a time in the future when, when they would no longer be separate, but Jesus first has to ascend to the Father, and he wanted Mary to return to the disciples and communicate to them all that he had said and that she had seen him. You ever need those reassuring words? 
when you are down, when you are out, when you feel like just quitting and giving up, when you find yourself either mentally or speaking these words, I'm finished, and you want to walk away, we have the reassuring voice of Jesus from his word. We have the reassuring voice of Jesus through his spirit that resides within us. We have the reassuring voice of all of you at Mission View that when someone's going through a difficult time, we come alongside and we are that reassuring voice. Just as Jesus said, Mary, we are able to encourage and build someone up when their heart is empty. Which leads us to part four. And part four is the peace Jesus brings. Look at verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Here are 12 to 11 disciples, scared to death, in an upper room. The doors are locked. It's a place that they think is secret. And their hearts are pounding because they believe they will be next on the list. Because they have been seen as followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been crucified. And they think, we are next. And so there is a sense of chaos. And there's a sense of fear. And there's a sense of, of just struggle here. And can I just share with you this morning that there will be times in our life. And there's times in my life where there is fear. And there's chaos. And I'm stressed out. And there's times in our life when we're confused. And we begin, we begin to make irrational decisions. And we are right on the edge and the ledge of life. And yet here comes Jesus. The Gospels tell us that Jesus didn't unlock the door and come through. He did what? He came through the walls. He has a glorified body. He has risen from the dead. This is many days later. He comes through those walls, and the Gospels tell us that the disciples think that it's a spirit until he says what? Peace be with you. They recognized his voice. But they, don't, they didn't just recognize his voice. He proved that he truly was the risen Savior by what? I want to show you something. I want to show you my hands. I want to show you my feet. I want to show you that what I claimed throughout my earthly ministry has come true. And you want to talk about disciples that were in fear of their lives? And when Jesus says, peace be with you, it reminds me of the verse that says, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have much tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The disciples' grief and fear was overcome with great joy in the presence of Jesus. And it's in those times that we need to sense the peace of God in our life. And so for all of us here this morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate that he's alive. But guess what? Tomorrow's Monday, and you got to go back into the office. you got to deal with your kids who stole or ate your Thin Mints, you know? 
You've got to deal with some of these things in your life. And there's times when you just need God's assurance. I give you peace. Trust in me. I am, I am who I said I am. I have done what I said I would do. Trust me with your life and watch what I'm able to do. There are some of us that will hear this message this morning and you'll shake your head and you'll go, it just doesn't make sense. And there will be others that are sitting here this morning that you'll nod your head and you'll say, this makes perfect sense. We live in a culture where if I don't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, uh, the other senses, what's the other one? Feel it? Then I'm not going to believe it. But that's the beautiful thing about faith in Christ. That's the beautiful thing about the centerpiece of our faith being the resurrection and the crucifixion. It's because we live by faith, not by what? Sight. And yet, man, aren't there days you just want to live by sight? Aren't there days that you think, oh, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. It is so easy on certain days to want to just live by sight. And yet the beautiful thing is that we do live by faith and not by sight. And by living by faith, we get to participate and be alive just as Christ is alive in our lives. The resurrection is a supernatural act of God that, that one cannot logically explain but supernaturally obtain. So let me ask you this question. How many of you were there when George Washington wa crossed the Delaware on December 25th, 1776? Anyone? I know some of us are old, but, but we're not that old. Okay? How many of you were there when they were dumping out tea in the Boston Tea Party in, in 1773, December 16th. How, how many of you saw that? How many of you were a part of that? You, you watched that. How many of you were a part of when Paul Revere came riding in and he said what? The British are coming, the British are coming. How many of you were there for that? And yet we all what? Believe it. It's historical evidence. And yet why is it that we have a hard time believing something that goes beyond the realm of taste, feel, touch, smell, all of that. My wife and I were in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, and we went through the Holocaust Museum. Wow. Wow. Overwhelming evidence of the Holocaust, of the extermination of Jews by the Nazi Germans. Unbelievable evidence of pictures and film and everything for you to walk out and say, if someone doesn't believe this, they are crazy. They are crazy, and yet there are those that say it never happened, and they have made up their own story. What comfort and assurance should the resurrection have in our lives in 2018? Number one, the resurrection of Jesus proves Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the Lamb of God. He's our Redeemer. He's the Messiah. That is why Jesus was able to say in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the, tell me, way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He truly is who he claimed to be. So he is either a liar, a lunatic, 
or he is Lord of our life. What would it help in him being a liar and going to a cross? What would it do in him being a lunatic and going to the cross? Or is it that he is Lord of our lives? It is through his death, burial, and resurrection that he proves that he is the rescuer of the souls of men. Number two, his resurrection proves that his victorious power to conquer sin and death was sufficient for all mankind. It's one thing for us to say we have power. It's another thing to demonstrate that and show that it is true. And Jesus certainly did this. Death, where is thy sting? Death, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, the resurrection assures us that he's alive and working in our lives. The same power that rose Christ from the dead, what? Also, if we put our trust in him, resides in you and I today. The same powerful spirit of God resides within us today that we can say with great assurance, he is alive, he is risen from the dead. I am different, I have been changed. And my heart one day was empty, but it is fuller now than ever before because of what Christ has done in my life. And that when we breathe our last, absent from the body, present with the Lord, that just as Christ rose from the dead, we too, when we die, we will rise and we will be with him and see him face to face. The resurrection gives us purpose and strength on both sides of the tombstone. And the last one this morning. Jesus' empty tomb is a reminder that he alone can fill our empty lives. He can fill our empty lives. I want to ask you, have you put your trust in him You've seen the evidence here today. Have you put your trust in him, the one who defeated sin and death so that we can have eternal life? May the empty tomb speak loud and clear this morning to our hearts that Jesus is alive. You know, for years, the Rose Bowl has a Rose Bowl parade. I'm sure some of you have woke up early in the morning and on the day that they play the Rose Bowl game, they have an incredible Rose Bowl parade. Hundreds of floats, beautiful flowers. And several years ago, these floats were coming down and the TV is, is, is panning and showing every single float. And right in the middle of that parade, right in the middle was a float. And it sputtered out and it stopped. And it ran out of gas. It completely held up the entire parade for at least a half hour before someone could go and get a gas can and fill that float back up so that they could continue. It ran out of gas. The interesting thing is that it was the float represented the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> With all of its resources, it ran out of gas. And without Christ, without his, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we're like that parade float. And maybe not today, and maybe not tomorrow, but there will be a point in time where we find ourselves empty if we don't know Jesus. And Jesus is the one that comes along and fills us up. May we remember this day and the days to come that Jesus' empty tomb is a reminder that he alone can fill our empty lives. He's worthy to be praised. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ today,
tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for sending your son. Words can never, ever be adequate enough for what you have done for us. And Lord, thank you that your son went to the cross and then shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sin. And yet that is only the beginning, only the beginning of an incredible resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we, Lord, as we put our trust in you, we are assured of life here and life eternal. For those of us that would say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I have an empty heart that can only be filled in Christ. And so we thank you this morning that we can look to you, that we can celebrate, that we can clap, that we can rejoice, that we can sing, and we can say, I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And that as we serve this risen Savior each and every day, may we walk in obedience to you. You are worthy to be praised because Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.